0: As young as kindergarten, there were resource guides out there telling teachers, telling
1: educators how to talk to children about their pronouns. Today, sit down with Florida State Representative Joe Harding, who spearheaded Florida's Parental Rights and Education Bill. One
0: of the things it said was, do you want your parents to be involved in helping you
1: basically transition from he to a she or however you want to do it? Now, many other states are following in Florida's footsteps and adopting similar legislation. We can't have a private meeting with my child and close the door and then tell me that I have no right to that information. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellick. <laughs> Representative Joe Harding, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's just start by getting you to tell me a bit about yourself. You know, usually uh, state representatives, you're in uh, the state legislature, but you also do something else. So, so what are you up to?
0: Yeah, I think. well, it's the difficult thing of being in the Florida legislature, but also I think what makes it so effective is that we are part-time legislators. So uh, first and foremost, I'm a dad of four children. I've got a nine, a seven, a five, and a three-year-old, so they keep us very busy. And then I'm also an entrepreneur. I, I have a business that I run, and so we're,
1: we're very busy. So we're going to talk today a bit about your work with Governor Ron DeSantis, but I'm going to jump right in, and we're going to talk about the Parental Rights and Education Bill, because that was actually a bill that you sponsored. Um, so tell me a little bit about the genesis of this.
0: Well, what we saw um, during my first year in the legislature, I got elected in 2020, and at that time, the parental uh, bill of rights was running moving in the legislature in 21, in our first session. This idea that parents are the ultimate deciders for their children, the ultimate decision makers for their children, really just blew my mind that that was so controversial. Um, And so we got through the legislative session in 21, uh, working a little bit on that bill. I sat on two committees that bill went through, so I got to hear a lot. Um, and then as I went back home to the district and started to talk to people and realize what was happening all over our state on on this issue of sexualizing our children and, and some of the things going on with gender theory and different things that were being taught, and then how the school districts were getting around the parental bill of rights that was just passed, what they were doing to manipulate that, and really shocked me because I saw it from the perspective, like I do everything that I try to do in the legislature as a dad, you know, and I'm looking, I've got a third grader, a fourth grader, I've got children this age. Um, It was such a wake up call. The first thing that really got me um, really motivated and knew we had to do something in the legislature was a story from Leon County where you had a 12 or 13 year old girl who, and had multiple meetings behind closed doors with people from the school district in Leon County helping her change her name and change her pronoun. And I just could not believe that that was happening in Florida schools. We can't have an idea that a school district could have a closed door meeting with my child, not include me as the parent. And then when I asked the school district in the case of, in these examples of parents that we've had in Florida, when I've asked the school district, you know, what are you meeting about and what's happening, what decisions are being made and being told as a parent, Sorry, but this has to do with something that you can't be involved on and watching parents literally be shut out. and what it showed me was that it was so important that we do something now before
1: it's too late. You said you were concerned about some of the gender theory education. so what what is it that you were concerned about?
0: Well, what we've seen in Florida and unlike and, and many other states, just like we're seeing in other states around the country where Third-party groups, activist groups, are coming and they're creating resource guides for school districts to use to teach certain subjects. All all of them relating to gender and, and teaching sexuality. And one of the things that really surprised me that was as young as kindergarten, there were resource guides out there telling teachers, telling educators how to talk to children about their pronouns. And I had to have discussions about, well, can I use the pronoun that I use at school when I talk to your parents? Or, or, or do I have to use a different name? All, all these really confusing things to teach, that try to pull out of little children. So really, it was those resource guides. The first one I saw was in Palm Beach County, and then found out that just right close by to my district in Alachua County, Alachua County there was one, and, and throughout um, the state of Florida, we started, they started to come forward. Broward County, Miami-Dade, and so on. As, as our bill started to, to, to get in the news, we had more and more people reaching out and saying, our county has one just like this. Um, and it was that was probably the scariest part because these guides were not being voted on in public meetings. These guides were being put forth with an agenda by activist groups, and they're directly teaching and instructing teachers how to instruct children and almost bypassing the typical role that you would have with approval process that would go through the State Board of Education. They figured out a way to bypass it with an activist agenda.
1: You know, you had this up close and personal seat to watch the development of this parental rights and education bill from start to finish. So why don't you trace that for me?
0: Originally, this bill was going to be targeting these guides that we talked about a little bit, that there was these transition guides and this idea that we're teaching Teachers how to teach sexuality to little children and, and we've got to address this. But then I came, you know, to my attention that in Leon County and in Martin County, there were these transitions, transition questionnaires that were being put forward and it was given to students. If you got questions about your pronoun here, and one of the things it said was, Do you want your parents to be involved in helping you basically transition from in our school as a he to a she or however you want to do it? And so the original bill was about targeting um, this idea that they, I don't want anybody in the school district having closed door meetings with my children. I don't want them signing a document that the minor child is making decisions for themselves in school without the parents involved. And that's kind of, that's where it originally, that's what started with. And then as I became aware of other issues where we had, we had gender theory being caught in kindergarten and second grade classes and different school districts, and we knew we had to address that, so we added that into the bill. So the bill got filed kind of right at the deadline as we worked through the details of everything that needed to be in it. And then uh, the bill gets its first hearing in in the Education Committee, and at that point, when the media narrative just took off. And I think it was really early on, I saw it, I got on my, um, actually didn't go on my desk, it went on all my neighbors around me' desk uh, in the Capitol, so if you're not familiar with the Florida Capitol, the way our offices are, the freshmen are in the tower, and I'm up on the 11th floor, and all my colleagues that are my freshman um, colleagues are getting these pamphlets dropped off at their desk that basically says, like, help us stop the don't say gay bill, this bill is targeting trans children, all these just rhetoric. And it was the first introduction to the many lies that that the left was putting out. And it was by, you know, one of these organizations that's frankly, using these issues like this to make money on it. But one of the things that I made a comment to one of my colleagues that sits on the, it was actually a Rep Lamarca out of Broward County. I made a comment to him that he was on the committee and I said, you know, they never came and talked to me. This this Florida Equality group never requested a meeting with me and I'm hearing that they've met with 12 Republicans that are on this 18 member committee. And it was my first kind of glimpse into how dirty and how low these groups will go to spin up a narrative. And what they did was they purposely didn't talk to me because they wanted me to be in the dark of what their tactics were. So I get in front of a committee and that, that committee just kind of went off the of rails. I mean, it was all about hypotheticals and rhetoric and this is targeting gay children and all these different things that, that we've heard throughout. And no matter how many times you would give them an answer, back to the bill, this bill's really simple, here's what it says, they would just keep spinning it up. So. In many ways, we were losing the messaging war on this bill, not because our message was not good, but because we didn't have the power of the media. The left, at this point, I think it was the day after, maybe the day of the first committee, had Anderson Cooper had uh, chased the Buttigieg on to talk about this bill. I mean, you know, national figures immediately talking about this bill from the left's perspective, and almost no perspective, nothing from our side, and. It was pretty early on, the governor um, got asked about the bill at a press conference and he made a comment, something to the effect of, we'll go back and and look into this bill. And it was just a few days later, he got asked about it again. At this point, he had reviewed it. So he took that opportunity to really expose the media for using terms like, don't say gay, because it was clickbait and it sold well on social media. And that's why they use terms like that. But it really, he, he, on a national level, was able to expose so much of what their rhetoric was. And then it made the left really double down. It was really at that point that it became a fever, you know, really a fever pitch. We had over 300 students from Dade, Broward uh, County, come into the Capitol, you know, and their tactics. I told this to one of my colleagues. I said that if parents aren't, have not woken up already to what's happening in our schools, the footage of these children in our capital is a wake-up call. And watching children cuss, you know, F this, and telling us that, you know, we're bigoted and we're all, they, these things are really nasty and aggressive. And right behind them are educators from those school districts, Democrat lawmakers, dancing, supporting, going along with it, as if this is okay. For little, 15, 16, I'm sorry, if. If, if I'm old to call 15, 16 years old children, but they're children, they are minors. And, and, and there they are in our capital with adult lawmakers dancing and going along with it. That was a wake-up call, I believe, to really what took on a fever pitch all across the country from conservatives, and not just conservatives, from centrists. I believe the majority of Americans realizing that what is happening in our schools, targeting our children, trying to indoctrinate our children You know, enough is enough. Uh, It was really an unbelievable time to really kind of, I believe, start to reverse the course that we've seen happen for way too long in our school system. Lay out what's in the bill. The bill does really three fundamental things. It says that uh, parents should be the decision makers. Any decision that's made in the school district that has a physical or emotional or mental impact on the student's well-being must involve the parent. Pretty straightforward. That could have to do with issues that have nothing to do with their sexuality. could have to do with the way their grades are reported. could have to do with which coursework they're taking. But if it has a long-term impact on the student, engage the parent. Pretty straightforward. Then we said that in kindergarten through third grade, because there was a gap in our state standards where we did not address this, gender ideology and sexual orientation shouldn't be taught in kindergarten through third grade. So that was the second. But the third piece was probably what really is the motivator behind the left being so fired up. As we said, there has to be an enforcement piece. Because just like we saw with lockdowns, just like we saw through the time of COVID in our school districts that, that chose to not follow the, the governor's executive orders, chose to not follow the rules the legislator put out, we said there has to be an enforcement piece. We said that if a school district is withholding information, from you about your child. So like in the case of Leon County, where you had a 12 or 13, I think she was 12 when it started, 12 year old child having closed door meetings with the school district and school officials and blocking out the parent. And then the parent goes, what what was in that meeting? Could could I see, what what did she sign? I'd like to have that. And the school district goes, oh no, no, that's confidential. Well, so our bill directly goes at that and says, no, you can't withhold. You can't have a private meeting with my child and close the door and then tell me that I have no right to that information.
1: What is the accountability? Like what can happen?
0: Yeah, so in our first um, piece of legislation, we we our main focus was a course of action. So the parents should have an ability to be able to sue the school. The school go to a judge and get a judge to issue that, okay, the, the parents can, it's the rightful information for them to know what's happening. The only caveat being that if there's threat or possibility of abuse or abandonment or neglect, which is currently already accounted for in our Florida state statute. But we doubled down on that in our bill and just said that, you know, if a parent is an abusive parent, obviously there, there may be some closed door meetings to try to protect, protect that child. Ultimately, where we landed, which I think is really was, was such a great point, was that we have what's called a coercive action and a cause of action. The coercive action is for the parents that can afford to go hire an attorney to go after the school not every parent can afford an attorney. So we came up with a cause of action and we have a 70-day and a 30-day period. So they, they can go to the school district and request information relating to a private closed-door meeting that the school may have had with their child. And the school has seven days to provide that. If they choose to not provide that, then it gets escalated and the Department of Education, our State Board of Education, gets involved. They have 30 days to do something with it. So we we wanted to do was we didn't want parents that didn't have the ability or didn't know where to go to hire an attorney to be able to have another way to hold the school districts accountable. Probably the thing that we heard the most that often makes me almost laugh out loud is that what they would say is, well, aren't you forcing taxpayer dollars to be spent on attorneys defending school districts? But what they don't acknowledge is simply that if school districts don't want to be sued for having closed-door meetings with children,
1: stop doing it. Something just struck me, you know, someone that's very a huge advocate of let's say gender ideology, they might view it as abusive that a parent doesn't allow their child to be encouraged to change their pronouns or change their gender or, or whatnot. Have you considered this in the bill or? In this- right, we did. That's a great point. So
0: we actually ultimately put in some conforming language in our education um, in our final education bill. And the legislator that to putting in some review mechanisms because that was our concern was abuse could be a term that my parents are Republican and I you know you could have a, a activist person in the school say well Republican parents it's abusive that they teach make your child go to church for instance it's abusive that they make you you know whatever whatever it may be um, it could obviously be used in any way you want if you have look at it from an activist point of view and so what we did do is we put it to where the school district has to have regular meetings and has to continually keep the principal, and the superintendent, the decision makers, in the school involved. If they're choosing to intentionally withhold information from a parent because of an, a concern of abuse, they have to continue regularly to, to keep revisiting that. And our goal, and I think this is an area we're going to have to address um, further in the legislature as we see this implemented. I think that that term abuse is unfortunately misused. Um, We look at as abuse as you know abusing your child physically, mentally, not not in terms of political issues. And unfortunately, the left will take political issues and call them abuse, and that's simply not true. So we did put in some things and and protection of that in our overall education uh, package, but I think we're going to have to revisit
1: that further in the future. And so, when at what point does Disney get involved here?
0: Yeah, so Disney, I think the first time. We're in our last week of session, so if you're not familiar with the Florida Legislature, how it works, we have 60-day session, and it moves really quickly. And then those last week or two is when most of the either really controversial bills or really big bills that have a lot of different moving pieces move. The first time Disney publicly active in this bill was after our bill had actually already passed. It had passed in both chambers. And they were getting involved with the intent, I believe, to lobby the governor and try to make the governor back down, which clearly they didn't know who the governor of Florida was because that backing down is not in his, in his DNA, thankfully. Um, but they started pushing actually after. And, you know, I've been asked about this before. Disney never uh, was involved, at least with me and my bill. They never lobbied for or against the bill. They were not involved. They came in late. Um, mostly because they were getting pressure from activist groups that have gotten embedded within Disney. And there's, you know, footage of closed door meetings, if you will, with Disney that, that's gotten leaked out, really showing kind of the underbelly of what they truly believe, which is shocking, I believe, to most Americans, some of the things
1: that they, that they their producers and... would be an example.
0: Well, this idea that they want, you know, 50% of characters in, our, in, in children's movies to be um, portray an LGBTQ uh, person. I think you know, 50% of children are not LGBTQ. And I think this idea that they're trying to make this mainstream clearly has an agenda that they are trying to insert that's just really out of line, I believe, with what the majority of Americans believe in, and see. Um, but what they did was Disney tried to get involved late, I believe, to pressure the governor to get the governor to back down. Clearly that didn't happen. But I think what they what Disney misjudged was the, the amount of energy that was behind this bill already, and they were very late um, to it. And I think what they, what, they, what they learned the hard way is that you can never satisfy this progressive idea that there's always, there's always some new thing that we've got to, to, to go with. And what I mean by that is the, the groups that they were trying to appease by coming out with a public statement and saying that you know we're going to work. I think their first statement was something to the fact that we don't agree with the bill and we're going to try to work to see what we can do to help make it better. Something vague, whatever it was. But that wasn't enough. What, they, what the left wanted to hear is, no, we want to hear that you're going to go out on record and you're going to help us beat them. And then Disney came out with a statement that says that we're going to work to make sure that this bill, House Bill 1557, my bill, gets repealed. Well, in order to get repealed, you would have to reverse... You'd have to put the minority in the majority, which meant that was a direct threat at our Republican majority and the, and the Florida legislator was we're gonna to work to unseat you and try to replace you with progressive, out of line, you know, far left replacements. And that is what their statement, I truly think that, is what, that was what really energized um, the right and the conservative movement and the governor. You no, know, no, you're not gonna get involved and then replace our majority. We've made all these great decisions for Florida. You know, conservatism has worked in so many ways in Florida. So what you're saying is you're going to throw all that away, all the success that Disney, frankly, has had over the years, all, we're going to throw all that away because we have an activist group that wants us to further a political agenda. They got used, unfortunately. I, I truly believe that. But unfortunately, Disney is no longer the company that Walt Disney founded. It's, it's gone. It's, it's now a California-based company with California values, and it doesn't align with Florida. And Disney's gotten special privilege in Florida for way too long. Uh, it, was need, it needed to be looked at before. Absolutely should have been looked at much sooner. But I think at the end of the day, what the governor was able to do was expose that here we are giving special privileges to, to a company that's directly targeting the values and the things that we are pushing forward in Florida. If we ignore that, then why are we up there? I, I ask that, I've asked that question before. You know, If we're going to run for office to go along to get along, it's not worth it to me. It's not worth the time away. It's not worth missing the T-ball games and and school and family and church and business and all these things that you miss doing this. It's not worth it if you're not going to fight for what you believe in. What is the fixation with our children? That was really the question that I kept asking.
1: I still ask myself, you know, what is this fixation really about? Well, so what have you come to so far in, in, in pursuing that question? I think that Really what it
0: is, is a breakdown in what the what we see as the fundamental role of families. Having parents involved, I think what we've tried, what has happened, unfortunately, in our society is this continued reliance on government and on experts. And so what we have, activists, groups that have gotten into our school district saying is, parents, you're, you're not qualified to have a discussion with your child about their pronouns or, or whatever new thing that we've created, because you're just not you're not in with it. You're not current. You're not cool. You wouldn't know how to talk to your kids. So I truly believe that it's a fun, it's a breakdown and understanding of what the role of the family is, and you cannot replace parents with government. And I think that's what we've seen an effort to do that, um, and and replace them with a bureaucracy and a bunch of experts. And at the end of the day, the parent knows the child best. No expert that sits in a corner office in the district, you know, school district office knows the child as well
1: as the parent at home. Have you spoken? with anyone who believes this? Have you had a you know, conversation or an informed debate? Like I, I, I'd love to understand this.
0: You know, When I've talked to my colleagues that serve in the legislature, many of them in the, in, that were Democrat members very vocally opposed this bill. As I think back through some of those memories and some of those discussions, almost all of them, with the exception of a couple, off the record agree with most of what we're doing. On the record, they put on a front, that this is, this is all filled with hate and this is about targeting certain children and all these different things. But off the record, more times than not, regardless if they're uh, a same-sex family, regardless if they're, they're, they're raising their children and they're, they're married to, to a man or a woman or they're, they're a man married to a man, even in those situations, so many of them agree that as parents, regardless if it's two dads or two moms, I just want to be involved in what's happening with my children. They're my kids, and I want to be involved, and I want to know, and I want to be the one leading that instruction. I think of one particular case right before a committee, uh, the second committee hearing on, on the parental rights and education bill. I had a colleague of mine, a Democrat colleague, call me on the phone and say, hey, I just want you to know, um, I obviously got to vote against your bill today, but as a parent, I agree with, I agree with almost everything in the bill. I have a couple questions, but I pretty much agree with everything in the bill. So it just shows you that it's, it's not real. And, and that wasn't the only time. I had that multiple times where Democrat colleagues would come to me and say, you know, I, I actually agree with this. I can't believe this is even controversial, but you know, I would say I got to be against it. So even some of the biggest opponents off the record for the most part agree. There are a few that will look at it from a perspective that they have to believe what they are saying because they just need that to go on. I think back to this summer, I did a little bit of traveling and I was at a conference for other legislators throughout the country. And I ran into a legislator uh, from from Minnesota and this legislator figured out who I was and what bill I had sponsored and just came at me in a really aggressive way um, that I was bigoted and that all these different things that she said. And what was interesting to me was when I actually challenged her a little bit, and said, have you read the bill? Have you, do you know what this, the, the bill that you're calling, the don't say gay bill, do you know what it actually is about? And her response to that was, I would never read that thing. It's like, well, how do you as a lawmaker who's out there influencing what people think, believe that the best answer is, well, I would never read it because it's filled with hate, and that's your response. Then how can you actually be someone that's, that's, Part of the decision making for your state that's really alarming
1: there's at least one Democratic legislator that was on your side with this bill uh, representative Bush right and you know kind of paid a price for this too
0: yeah what we saw was you know there was there was one um, Democrat House member who was willing to go on record and vote in support of my bill um, outside of the the handful of other ones that would tell me privately ah, I wish I could support it um, but he actually did support my bill and ultimately was beat in a primary by, by a very, very progressive, far-left liberal. I think that that is what we're seeing across Florida is there is no longer a Democrat Party that's not... The Democrat Party across the country, really, but especially in the state of Florida, has become so far-left and liberal, it's a bubble. And so you've got to be an activist. You've got to be as far-left. There is no room for independent thinkers, and that they, don't, they don't believe in that. And so he paid the price ultimately for stepping out against his own party.
1: You know, of course, as we know, the Parental Rights and Education bill was signed into law. Um, what, what has been the impact of that? Uh, you know, I guess so far, both in Florida and beyond.
0: Well, it's first we're watching it closely to see how it's implemented because that's really the biggest thing that we see in Florida is we can pass really bold and great legislation but we have to make sure that it's being implemented correctly. And if it's not, there may be an opportunity for us to go back and readdress something that maybe needs to be tweaked, but also to hold those school districts accountable that are not complying. What we're seeing is we're seeing school districts that are absolutely trying to navigate around it. We've seen some of that, but I will point to some of the positives. We saw Miami-Dade County that had a sex education program that was considered very progressive, And just really shocking, they had 12, 14-year-old children, and they had profiles of these children in the textbooks, in the sex ed program. And it just unbelievable, talking about 14-year-old children as being all these different types of genders, and just really confusing to to be teaching to, to children. And so because of this bill, and because of the outrage of many of the parents in the school district, that sex ed program was actually repealed, is now being revisited. And that's in one of the largest school districts in Florida in the Miami-Dade, so I I see a lot of hope that we are making some real progress. And I would also point to um, the school board races that happen all over our state. We've never had a governor get involved in the number of school board races like he did. But he did that because he saw that many of the issues that we faced in the lockdown, that we're facing with this, this gender theory issue, is coming from liberal and out-of-touch school boards that are not in touch with their voters. And I think it, because they're nonpartisan races, they can get away with a lot, and the g- voters don't realize who they have sitting on these boards. And I think that we brought a lot of awareness to the importance of those school board races because of this bill. And I think it was over you know, 90%, 85 or 90% of the governors endorsed candidates won their, their races in school board races all over the state. So we are seeing a tremendous impact of it. And I think that there's plenty of work to be done. I think that it's showing areas that we need to work, but it's showing areas as well. And it's, and it's done something that I think the left could have never imagined with their false representation of what the bill did and with their false representation of the name of the bill. They exposed and they gave us a, a national stage to expose what was actually happening in our schools. And I think parents are watching. They're more involved now than they've ever been. And I think that's a
1: really good thing. And are you getting any inquiries from outside of Florida uh, about this legislation? And so forth? I've heard of some things developing. Yes,
0: we see um, similar legislation moving in a lot of states in Pennsylvania. I think Ohio had something similar. And I know Virginia is doing some things. I think that Florida leads. I think we saw this with COVID. We're seeing this now with education. I think we've empowered parents in an unbelievable way in Florida. And I think that that is it's extremely neat to see um, other states follow the lead of Florida.
1: So when you got sworn in in November of 2020, um, you were stepping right into the middle of serious debate about COVID policy and Governor DeSantis taking a very different direction, as well as, of course, all the agencies. And so what was that like?
0: Well, it was really shocking. And if you're gonna choose a time to serve in politics, I obviously picked one hectic time to run. We had COVID, we had lockdowns and all these different things that our country was facing. So we spoke out against a lot of that, but it was really when it got personal, when you had people in your district calling you and saying, I'm gonna get fired from my job. You know, for the city of Gainesville that I've worked for, have been loyal, saved lives, I've given, I've never done anything but give the best service to our taxpayers. But I'm going to be fired because of one decision I'm making that I'm choosing to not get vaccinated. And I had an opportunity to talk about that a little bit, his story on the House floor during our special session. And I think that that was was really, I doubled down any efforts I was doing. And I was really just in awe watching the governor day after day uh, beat the drum that Florida cannot follow the other
1: states. What was it like as a legislator at that time? Or is it? You know, difficult. You describe this you know, very polarized atmosphere uh, in the legislature. Can, just can you... Well, I think the biggest thing, I, I always just got shocked. I don't know why more people don't talk about this
0: publicly. I always would get blown away when the Democrat reps would come into committee and they would be wearing two or three masks and they wouldn't sit near you and they, they're looking at you like you have a third eye because you're not wearing a mask. But I'm like, I saw you last night, you know, at a bar in Tallahassee and you didn't have a mask anywhere near you. But all of a sudden here we're on camera so you're going to wear a mask. I always just was blown away by the theater. And I think probably the thing that really caught me off guard was one of my Democrat colleagues actually created their own pen and they were wearing their their vaccine card on their jacket, like showing everybody I got vaccinated and here's my batch. What are we doing? I mean, what is this? It just shocked me. It was a crazy time. And it was so many times I'm like, am I the only one seeing how ridiculous this is? Um, And I just, it was, it's, Still is a pretty bizarre time watching the, the theater that the left put on. Why do you think this was happening? Well, because you, if you go back to our, what do we fundamentally believe? What do I believe as a conservative? And what, what does the Democrat Party believe as the progressive left? What do they believe? And what I believe is that individuals should make decisions for themselves, that government is of the people for the people, and we should have a government as small as possible. Government's here for public safety. Government's here for a couple fundamental roles, but they're not here to be decision makers for everything in your life. They're not here to be your only protector. They're not here for all those things. And the Democrats truly believe that government is everything. And what they do is they use people who have different needs, whether it's you know, playing on, on low income or minorities and telling them, well, the evil Republicans are coming after your job or coming after your, your food stamps or whatever it is, because the Democrats truly believe that the more we expand government, the bigger, the bigger our services are for people, the better. But as conservatives, we think well, let's get government out of the way. So your own entrepreneurship, your own moxie, your own make you know making the best of the American dream is what is ultimately your path to success. And the Democrats believe your best path to success is a government program. So when you saw Democrats bought into this idea that government has to save us, government has to issue vaccine mandates, mask ordinances, all these things, it's because they truly believe that at the end of the day, government has to be the one to protect people. What I think is shocking was that they would sell that publicly, and even in their own mind, they wanted to have the freedom to not wear a mask. And you would see that from uh, liberal Leaders from New York and California and wherever else they would come from they come vacation in Florida during lockdown It was this idea. Well, we want to control and we want our citizens to believe government is the answer to every problem But yeah, I don't want to live under that control So I'm gonna to go to Florida where I can be free and it's kind of the interesting Thing that we can catch I think a lot of liberals in which is this idea that we want it for everybody else But not for me personally. Ugh, I'm like, I don't want to be told what I can and can't do So I I think it's really that fundamental... The lockdowns were such a big part of the Democrat Party because they truly believe that government is the ultimate answer to every issue.
1: So what's next for you? Well, what
0: we're going to continue to do as long as we're fortunate to be in the Florida legislature is to continue... I keep using the words, but we're going to continue to empower parents in Florida. I truly believe that all of the issues, and I say all... Of the issues that we face in our school districts, whether it's attendance issues, whether it's grade issues, all the issues that we are challenged with in our school system is because of government trying to replace parents. It's because of a fundamental breakdown in our family unit as a country, as a whole. We've got to continue to advance school choice policy to give parents, empower parents on choosing where they want to send their children to school. at the same time, as long as we have public schools in this state, we've got to continue to hold them accountable because it's a large part of our budget. Every year goes through funding our schools. And we've got to, as legislators, control what is happening in those schools and make
1: sure that it's a good environment for our parents and for our children. Well, Representative Joe Harding, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on. Thank you all for joining Representative Joe Harding and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kelleck you
0: mm-hmm.